All right. Well, if you'll take your Bibles and turn with me tonight to the book of Titus, Titus chapter 3. And we've been trying to work through this book, this little letter, not necessarily verse by verse, word by word, but like we would normally do, <clears throat> but working through thinking about the local church and just thinking about specific ways that we can address things that might be lacking here within our local fellowship uh, so that we can reform our ways according to God's word. Basically, and I'm not going to take a long time tonight, just just briefly a few minutes to, to kind of lead your thoughts and, and lead you through parts of, of the end of chapter 3 tonight, but basically we found that this book divides up into three sections according to chapters. In chapter 1, he talks about church leadership, or we talked about issues of church polity, and we said that particularly is areas of church government, and he he highlighted issues having to do with elders being appointed in every city. We talked about uh, the calling and the responsibility, the roles of the spiritual shepherds of the congregation, of, the, of each local congregation, the, the, the pastors. Pastor, of course, is a term that could be used interchangeably with an elder, or you could even use the term overseer or bishop. All those terms describe the same people within each local congregation, and and we talked about issues of church government. And then behind the scenes, however, though he doesn't talk about the issue of elders, we also brought up, uh, because another issue within church government is the existence, the presence and function of deacons or church servants within the church. And we said essentially that, that the deacon, the diaconate, is, is reserved for those specially appointed to take care administratively of issues within the church which would allow uh, an all-of-life kind of Christian experience. In other words, what we said is this. The, the role of a deacon, the role of a deacon or a deaconess is specifically suited to doing those things within the church, not just that help the church to function well, not just that help the church, you know, what goes on on a Sunday morning to go like a well-oiled machine, but the existence and function of a deacon or a deaconess, is particularly suited to allowing the elders to do what they're supposed to do, and that is primarily given to ministry of the word, prayer and ministry of the word, the shepherding of the flock. And that doesn't mean that everybody is a deacon, that doesn't mean, but, but these are particular servants of the church that take issues that, that elders often assume as their own, Take that, that, that don't really have to do with the shepherding of the church, prayer, ministry of the word, but take those issues and care for them so that the elders can do what they're called to do, prayer and ministry of the word. And when that happens, the church is prepared. The congregation is prepared. It affects everybody in the congregation and allows us all to live what we're calling an all-of-life Christian experience. In other words, it impacts what we talk about in the second chapter, first chapter church polity, second chapter has to do with church preaching. And it, that impacts every area of the church. It, it impacts older men, older women, younger women, and younger men, everybody in the local church. When there is, we said this two times ago, when there is a present and functioning eldership, 
And when there is a present and functioning diaconate within each local congregation, the congregation is empowered to live, to flourish in such a way that the church is an actual benefit to the people around them. That the church is, that the congregation is a benefit to the community. Not because we, you know, we, we do community events. Not because we have a VBS or, you know, something like that. But because the community, listen to this, has within its boundaries a bright shining testament to the grace and glory of God such that they have to they can only say that what's going on here is in fact a work of God so that even if people don't like us even if people and and, and Nathan said you know persecution is coming people are going to speak evil they do speak evil about the church the the, the local congregation and they will speak evil but they don't have a leg to stand on. They know that what's going on in that local congregation is a work of God. Now, in order for that to be, what has to happen is there has to be a present and, and functioning eldership, primarily taking care of issues of, of, of body care, uh, shepherding issues, prayer and the ministry of the word. And then there's a present and functioning diaconate caring for those administrative issues that will not pull away the elders from doing what the elders are supposed to do but rather allow the entire local congregation to live out their christian experience live out their christian life vibrantly and vigorously to the glory of god right that's kind of a summary of what we've talked about the last the last couple of weeks Chapter 1, church polity. Chapter 2, church preaching. Preach the things that, that, that accord with sound doctrine. And what I said is that that can't really happen, at least happen in a meaningful, uh, consistent uh, way, unless there, are, there is a functioning diaconate, functioning eldership and functioning diaconate. Now we come to chapter 3. Chapter 3. Chapter 1 is about church polity. Chapter 2 is about church preaching. Chapter 3 is about church practice. And that's where we found last time that a vibrant, flourishing local church is a benefit to people everywhere. It's a benefit to those within the local congregation, it's a benefit to our local community. It is a benefit to the world. Look at chapter 3, verse 1. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities and to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. Why? For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy. Remember what we talked about this morning? Malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of our God and Savior appeared, 
He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The, The saying is trustworthy. And I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. So he's telling Titus, Titus, as you are setting up, as you are uh, the local church, as you are appointing elders in every city, I want you, Paul says, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, to insist on these things. What are these things? These things are gospel truths and gospel practices. Gospel truths and gospel practices. Insist on, the, insist on what? Insist on what he talks about in verses 4 through 7. Those are gospel truths. When the goodness and loving kindness of, our God, of God our Savior appeared, he saved us not because of, of uh, works done by us in righteousness. Insist on this. Insist on these gospel truths that God saves not according to good works, but God saves according to his own mercy and by his own act of washing us, purifying us, just like Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 1 and 1 Peter chapter 2, washing us, purifying us from our old lifestyle. Insist on gospel truth, but not just insist on gospel truth. Insist on these things. Gospel practices. What do you mean? Things like being submissive to rulers and authorities, being obedient, ready for every good work, speaking evil of no one, avoiding quarreling, gentle, showing perfect courtesy to all people. Those are gospel practices. Titus, Paul says, Titus, insist on these things. Insist on these things. That's what we talk. And, and, and when that happens... Uh, careful to devote themselves to good works. That's gospel practice, the end of verse 8. These things are excellent. These things are morally beautiful and actually advantageous. And he just says this, they're just advantageous to people. Unqualified, that word people is unqualified. It's just people in general. This is advantageous to people. When we, when the church has gospel truth and gospel practice down. This is beneficial to people. All right? Now, he says, insist on these things, and then he brings up another necessity. And that comes in verse 9. Look at this. Verse... uh, um, 7 and 8, insist on these things. Verse 8, insist on these things. Verse 9, avoid. Verse 7, I'm sorry, verse 8, insist. Verse 9, avoid. Avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. Then he takes it a step further. As for a person who stirs up division 
And that, there's a, there's a Greek word for that phrase, a person who stirs up division. And that word is the word from which we get our word heretic. Okay? As for a person who stirs up division, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. I might say what, what he talks about in chapter 3, these are, these are church practices, right? The practice of good doctrine, the practice of gospel duty, and now the practice of church discipline. If the church, if the local congregation is to be an, an advantage to people, the church, the local congregation, is to be uh, what God called it to be. There is to be the practice of church discipline. And, it, and he shows it in this way. First of all, in av- what we avoid. In what we avoid. There are certain things that the church is to avoid. Just think about this. Keep your nose out of. And what are they? foolish controversies. You know what the word for foolish is? It's the Greek word moros, from which we get our word moron. Avoid moronic uh, controversies. Moronic discussions. Just things that have, that, that you cannot solve, right? Things that have no uh, end point. Avoid Foolish controversies. Now, granted, there takes some discernment to know what things are foolish controversies and what are not. Because almost everything, somebody wants to make almost everything a gospel issue. Somebody makes, wants to make everything an issue of, 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 of uh, faithfulness to the truth, right? But what we're talking about here primarily are these philosophical fantasies that people have that get in and, and they want their, their mind twisters. They get your focus off of what? Where it's supposed to be. Which is what? The goodness and loving kindness of our God, of God our Savior appeared. He saved us not because of works we have done in righteousness. Right? These are foolish controversies which take our minds off of the truth. Now, probably what Paul had in mind here is some sort of, um, I'll use this word, but I'll use it loosely, Gnostic heresy. Basically, the idea that, that there's this group of people that are really super in touch with God. And, and they have attained a level that nobody else can attain. And they are the ones, and what they end up doing is taking the focus off of the truth of the gospel. I'll say it this way, that these foolish controversies, these endless genealogies, like Paul would tell Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 1, endless genealogies, wrangling over words, coming up with fantastic uh, 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 fantasies, philosophical or even theological fantasies that people just want to debate over, are typically new fads that come down the pike. Let me show you what I mean. Look with me at Ephesians chapter 4 for a moment. Ephesians chapter 4. And keep this in the context. Keep in mind what we've been talking about here. Here he is, having talked about, having referred to the ministry of elders and all of that's going on within the church. Look what he says here. Verse 11. 
He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children. Now here's the phrase, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. That's what Paul's talking about to Titus on the island of Crete here. Being blown about by every wind of doctrine, the fads. Have you noticed how many Christian fads there are? I mean, I can't even name them. There are just so many. And, and my tendency is to want to get worked up over everything. I, I admit that. I want to get worked up over everything. But one of the things that I am trying to learn, maybe have learned and trying to learn, is that if you just give it enough time, all these fads just do what fads do. And what's that? They just fade. They're on to the next thing, on to the next thing. Now there's this big debate in, in the church about Christian nationalism. If you've ever been, you, you've been around that. And what about this? And, and people are saying this and they're launching bombs at one another. And, and it's, it's totally missing the point of the gospel, unfortunately. You see, avoid these moronic discussions that are going to profit no one anything ever. Foolish controversies, genealogies, genealogies, you know, uh, think about these false teachers. In, in, there's plenty of false teachers, but what they would do is they would take those genealogies um, in the Old Testament and go through them and just start coming up with fanciful ideas. You know, coming up. It's not, it doesn't mean that you're not supposed to know your genealogy. He's not talking about that. If, you, if you, you're tracing your family tree or doing he's not talking about that. He's talking about looking back at Old Testament genealogical records and coming up with doctrine, coming up with teaching about those things. What profit is it? Nothing. Dissensions, quarrels about the law, just unprofitable, worthless things, things that do not uh, lead anyone to the truth of the gospel. We're to avoid those things. Now let's think. Is he just talking to individuals here? No. Well, he's talking to an individual. He's talking about to Titus, but in what context? Within the context of the local congregation. Now, again, what we're trying to get at here is to see this local congregation that's thriving, that's flourishing. And in order for that to happen, there has to be some standard by which we know things to avoid. Well, how do we set that standard? Where's that come from? It comes from the spiritual leaders within the church, doesn't it? It comes from the elders shepherding, giving themselves to the word, giving themselves the ministry of prayer, the diaconate functioning in administrative roles so as to so that the elders can go about those things that they need to go about, and then elders can uh, effectively shepherd the church and mark out of uh, uh, avoidable controversies, dissensions, uh, genealogies, and quarrels about the law, which are unprofitable and worthless. But not only does he say avoid or shun, turn away from these things, but then, verse 10, there's also a person. What What about the person who brings these things up? 
Now, where typically do, do false teachers come from? Acts chapter, is it uh, 20, 21? They come from within the church. Paul said that savage wolves will arise from among you. All right? Now, what he says in verse 10 is, as for the person who stirs up division, as for the person who sets himself up as the authority and starts laying out the law for people and starts, you know, bringing up these endless genealogies and foolish controversies and dissensions and quarrels about the law, he says, um, after warn, warn him, warn him once, warn him twice, and then reject him. The person who brings these kinds of things up. Now, over the years, I have seen that uh, in just this local congregation. Whether it's somebody walking in here with a, with a, with a, a bundle of, you know, tracks under their hand and they're going to hand out to people. They want people to have their, here, I want you to see, have this say. We had a guy come in one time. He brought in charts. He was going to get everybody right on their eschatology. And he was going to put up the chart so everybody could see. And then, you know, I, I had a guy call me one time. And the question, you wouldn't believe the questions we get here at church when people call. And uh, he said, do you believe in using a rod to discipline your children? Like, I'm going to answer you. Who in the world are you? And, uh, you know, he's talking. And he says, now I have determined from the scripture that a correct biblical rod should be, you know, 18 inches in length. What? I gave him the number of the Methodist church down the street, told him to call them and, you know, go there. But just endless quarrels. What happens? What are we supposed to do? We're supposed to be able to avoid, the, avoid endless genealogies, unprofitable, worthless things, and reject those people who set themselves up as the authority on things that don't have any issues of authority at all. We actually discipline them. Now, there's a note of grace here because it's not just first time you're out, right? There's a warning. There's another warning. Think about a man who, who um, did this just recently in his own home and set himself up as the authority on what it means to be a husband and what it means to be a father and all of these things. And, and we had to confront him and we confronted him. And we confronted him once. We confronted him several times, actually, until finally we had to bring him to the church and say, this man can no longer be, be called a believer. We have to draw the line here because what he's going to do is he's going to try to lead people away from the truth. This person is warped, sinful, and self-condemned. Now, you can talk about this and say, my church discipline, that's, that's harsh that's, uh, I don't want to do that or whatever. But what are we talking about here? We're talking about a local church, a local congregation that is beneficial to people where, where older men and older women and young women and younger men are living out their Christian faith in all of life and thereby impacting the entire community for the Lord Jesus Christ. And that can only happen when the things that are lacking in the local congregation are actually addressed. 
And so what Paul does in this letter is he addresses them, points them out to Titus and says, now here are your marching orders. Go and take care of these things. Take care of church polity, government. Take care of church preaching. Make sure that that what you're doing is consistent with uh, 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 the living lives which accord with sound doctrine. And make sure that the church practice good doctrine, correct duties, and church discipline is in order. And you know what will end up happening? Um, it will, the entire community will be impacted, will be influenced for the gospel of Christ. In other words, when people want to see a... A, an, an incarnate, can I call it this way, an incarnational ministry. When people want to see the hands and feet of Christ, they look to the local church and say, you know what, I don't know what's happening down there, but that, those people, God must be in their midst. And so may it be that in the coming weeks and months, as we have seen some of these things that have been pointed out, have been laid out for us as a local congregation, as a local church, that we address them where they're lacking and make sure that we apply them and understand why we're applying them so that we can be all that God has called us to be for his glory. Amen. Let's pray together. Thank you, Father, for just these few moments in the word. And I do pray that you would address these issues here in our local congregation. Uh, I pray, Lord, that you might um, allow us to see a present flourishing um, eldership, a present flourishing diaconate here. I pray that uh, there would be older men and older women and younger women and younger men who are thriving in their Christian lives, living out the, uh, the good doctrine, the truth that is being taught, that we would be faithful to the Christian gospel, that we would be uh, bound in our duties to the gospel, and that we would not fail, uh, that we would not neglect this issue of discipline, not only discipline to draw the line around the church, to be able to to not just draw the line around the church, but to draw the line around truth, to uphold the truth in these days and age, in this day and age. And then, Lord, to draw a line around the church, to be able to to mark out those who are um, causing division, who, who are bringing disunity, who are bringing doctrinal um, error. I pray, Lord, that you'll help us to mark them out, mark uh, the church, and do it faithfully so that we can bring glory and honor to your name so that when people look at us, when the world looks at us, they say, surely those people are servants of the Most High God. We pray this in Christ's name. Together, all God's people said, amen. Thank you for being here tonight.